Okay, well, I'm going to pray, and as people come in, they will catch up. All right, so let's pray as we dive into the Sunday School Hour. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a reminder of uh, your omnipresence. Thank you that you are a God who is both near and far away. Um, Thank you for uh, the fact that you are not constrained by time or space. Um, We thank you for your word, which you have given to us, um, such a great gift that we might know you more and know you better. So this morning, God, I pray that you would, um, by your Holy Spirit, help us to accurately understand what you have to say to us in the books of the prophets. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are moving along in our genres. Today we're talking about uh, the prophets or the prophetic books. And uh, I have a question to start off with. What words or images or themes come to mind when you think of biblical prophets? So when you hear about the biblical prophets, what, what comes into your mind? Visions? Veggie tales? Jonah, okay, yes. Vegetales. Okay, Isaiah, Revelation. Okay, God speaking in a deep, booming voice. Yes. All right, anything else? Um, <laughs> interesting visions. Check this out. I looked this one up. This is supposed to be interpreting the first chapter of Ezekiel, which you should go read this afternoon be far more entertaining even than football. Uh, look at these beasts. Uh, a cow with wings or a bull with wings. I think that's a lion. Uh, some kind of eagle, falcon, hawk thing. And then you've got a throne with a wheel and a, a hand coming from somewhere <laughs> with a scroll. So these are some of the pictures that, that we see. Here's the, the four the horses. Um, this is not from Revelation there is four horses in Revelation, but it's also from Zechariah. Uh, the four different horses. Uh, you've got images like this one. is personally my favorite because the beasts look like they have those crazy eyes. But you've got a, a lion with wings. You've got a three- or four-headed leopard thing and a dragon-dinosaur thing. This is man's feeble attempts to try to figure out what's going on in some of the prophetic literature. So see, these are some of the pictures that are, are uh, in the prophetic books. And so we, uh, we want to dive into that and see. Um, a lot of people will avoid these books, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want to dive uh, right in. What books are we actually talking about? So just to, to make sure we're all on the same page, what we're talking about are the books of Isaiah through Malachi. Possible exception is Lamentations. It's kind of like an appendix on the end of Jeremiah, and so some people put it in a different category. But basically the books from Isaiah through the end of the Old Testament are what we're talking about today. This genre contains more individual books than any other genre. So if you include Lamentations, there's 17. If you don't, there's 16 books in the prophetic literature. Uh, you may have heard these terms before, the major prophets, the minor prophets. Um, some of them are varsity or JV, what's going on? Well, really, it, it goes back to just a, a division, not according to significance, um, but it's dividing them up by size. So the major prophets were the big ones, the long ones, right? So you go through uh, Isaiah to Daniel, and those are your major prophets. Okay, now Daniel's a little, a little smaller, and it's almost the, the size of some of the bigger minor prophets, but it's kind of the dividing line. And the minor prophets start in Hosea and go all the way to the end of Malachi. And really all it's talking about 
are the size of the books. It was a, a medieval way, so in Latin you had um, them breaking this up into the major and the minor. It had nothing to do in their minds with significance. So it's not like, these are the ones we should pay attention to, and if you get around to these guys, just go ahead. That's not at all uh, what's going on there. Uh, one thing that we really want to talk about is how unlike anything we have today are the prophetic books. Um, genre, movies, books, music, um, messages, uh, things, TV shows. We're really, we don't have anything quite like the prophetic genre. Uh, and for multiple reasons that we'll see, this is something that we don't quite vibe with. So, so historical books, when we study the narratives, we can understand that history class, history, some of us like to read history, it, it kind of matches up, we're, we're hearing stories. Um, some of you like poetry, most of us like music, song, and so we can kind of start making some connections there. Prophecy, the prophetic books are very unlike anything that we're used to. Um, here's where we get into some of the things that we really need to know, because oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we only think of some crazy guy like John the Baptist, right? He's wearing camel's hair, he's eating locusts and honey, and he's out in the middle of the wilderness screaming at people. And so we think of prophecy, we think of telling the future. Well, prophecy is more frequently forth-telling than it is foretelling. More frequently forth-telling than it is foretelling. So forth-telling is the proclamation of the truth of God for the present and near future. Okay, so that's foretelling. Foretelling is the proclamation of what God has planned for the distant future. And sometimes those things blend. Sometimes those things come together and they're a little hard to distinguish. But check out... Um, oh, wait, I said this first. <laughs> Many prophecies were future to the prophets, but very little of the prophecies are still future for us. So when you're reading an ancient document from 2,700 years ago... Um, there was a lot that was featured to them that is no longer featured to us because it has been fulfilled. So these stats really help. Less than 2% of the OT prophecies actually speak about the Messiah. 2%, less than 2%. Um, so when Christmas comes along and we start talking about the little town of Bethlehem and we go to Micah 5.2 or we go to Isaiah 7 or Isaiah 9 and talk about these messianic texts, um, those are actually very rare, very, very rare. Uh, less than 5% of the prophecies speak about the New Covenant era. So very few of the prophecies look ahead to, um, to what's going to happen after the Messiah, after Jesus. Very little of that. And then um, this one shocked me. Less than 1% predicted events that are yet to come for us. Okay, so very little of the prophetic literature is still yet to, to come. And so most of the time when we go to the prophetic books, we're going to the prophetic books for the foretelling. And if we're going there only for the foretelling, we're missing all of the foretelling. That's probably why we kind of avoid them sometimes, because we just don't... What's, I, don't have, I don't, can't get anything from this. What's going on in these books? Um, this means nothing to me. So we need to, to, to continue to think about that. And the last, the vast majority of what they said was contemporary to their day. So the prophets in their day were very relevant to the people around them, to the society around them, to the people hearing. It was... And all, almost all contemporary. Um, it was speaking to the now. It was, it was urgent. And that's really important. And, and something that we've gone back to time and again is uh, the context, right? The context of the prophets is essential. Now, some of the books of the Bible, some of the different genres, you can approach without too much historical understanding and really understand 
um, some of the things that are going on. So if you remember, we talked about the Psalms, talked about some of the titles at their beginning, and sometimes it'll say, like, a Psalm of David when he was in the cave, or uh, Psalm 51, a Psalm of David after Nathan confronted him about the adultery with Bathsheba. So we've got some historical context, but the vast majority of the Psalms don't have that historical context, but we can still really receive a lot of relevance and a lot um, of application from the Psalms. Prophets are harder. Background is especially helpful. Background is especially helpful for reading the prophets. Um, The historical setting of each prophet helps us to understand why God's people, why God is saying what he is saying to his people. So if you hear a message isolated from the context going on around and the people receiving the message, it, sometimes it's hard to place uh, that message. That message's significance. Um, you need to know what's going on. So if in another, I don't know, seven months, uh, you turn the TV on in the middle of a campaign ad from October 2012, um, and you weren't really paying attention during the elections, it's, you're, it's completely ripped out of context. There's Wait, it's election season again? We're, we're completely confused at what's going on because the, the context and the background are not understood. So consulting Bible dictionaries, handbooks, and commentaries will help with this. Which is why this week I purchased a bunch of those things more for our, our church library. So if you want to t- take a look and dive in deeper, I bought two commentaries, two handbooks, and a few other helps um, for our church library. And that church library is there to help you to be a resource to you. Well, we need to know the context, and again, we've talked about this before, you need to know the narrative flow of the scriptures to have a general understanding of what's going on from Adam to Noah to Abraham to David, and as we march through, to understand the sweep. As we understand the sweep there, we can get to to know um, where this is happening, where the prophetic books are happening. And so they're written during the latter end of the divided monarchy, the exile and the return. And those dates would be about 800 B.C. to 400 B.C. And again, looking at your study notes in your study Bible or getting a dictionary, a Bible dictionary or a handbook will really help to place these things. Um, the divided monarchy is helpful to remember because before it was divided, it was okay, united. <laughs> All right? Before it was divided, it was united. And under the united monarchy, we had three kings. We had Saul, David, and Solomon. Right? And then division. The division happens into north and south, and that helps us to understand where things are coming from. And as we sweep towards the end of the nation of Israel and the end of the nation of Judah, uh, the Assyrians come in, the Babylonians come in, and take the people off into exile. And that's where we get um, Nehemiah and Ezra, and the books, uh, the story of Esther is in exile, away from the land. And as they come back and return, that's where we, we studied several years ago, the book of Nehemiah is, is the, the exile and the return to build Jerusalem. So that grounds us in the situation that these books are written in. Before the exile, before God's people are taken away, the prophets tended toward curses and warnings. Okay? After the exile, when the people are brought back, the prophets tended toward blessings and encouragement. So different prophets teaching at different times um, have different emphases. And so you can see that before the exile, God is still warning his people and and warning them and using the curses to to say, this is coming if you don't repent. And then when he restores them to the land, 
Um, his message to the prophets is more often blessing. You're back in the land. You, you, you've learned the lesson, partially. <laughs> um, here are the blessings that are in store for the obedient. All right, uh, just a, another side note. Many prophets are mentioned in Scripture, but we're talking about the writings of the prophets. Okay, so we're not talking Elijah, Elisha here to the main prophets that we see in narrative. Um, we're talking about the prophetic writings, right? So we talked about Isaiah through Malachi. Um, in narrative, we hear about prophets and very little from prophets. In the prophets, we hear from the prophets and we usually have very little about them. So some of the prophets we literally know nothing about except what we can obtain from their message. Some of the prophets we hear a little bit about who they are, their background, or where, um, where they were and who they were teaching to. So as we look at the context, one of the main things we have to do is we've got to find the main division. So you remember, if we're talking about um, uh, a psalm, we take the, the psalm or the, the meter inside of the psalm to say, this is a chunk that I need to look at, and this chunk contains the unit of thought or the big idea. As we go back to narrative, we, we find that we can't just pick out a chapter necessarily and understand it devoid of what's going on. In the prophets, we have to find what's often called an oracle, or a main division, and sometimes you can't necessarily depend on the uh, titles in your Bible, the, the, title, the titles in bold, above your chapter, or a different heading, because those are not Scripture. Those are added by wise men who are translating the Scripture, but may not be uh, the best division sometimes. So, example is Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is famous passage... Um, Isaiah, the prophet, is in the presence of the Lord. The, the angel is saying, holy, holy, holy. Um, the, 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 the foundation shake. The temple is filled with the presence of the Lord. But before that, we're told, in the year that King Uzziah died, this happened. And that sets us up to understand, okay, before this, chapter 5 was not talking about this. We get to chapter 6. Again, the chapters were not there when, the, when Isaiah wrote it. We see a heading that changes the subject, changes the context, and says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So we understand that that helps us divide up the prophets. Now look at the type of prophecies. I want to make a disclaimer. If you bought the book, Playing with Fire, which we're using as one of our standard texts for this series, um, he lists 11 types of prophecies. And for the sake of moving through this morning in any kind of <laughs> manageable way, we're going to use uh, the, the list from How to Read, the Bible for All It's Worth, is that what it's called? Yeah, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, which is also in our library and is a good resource as well. So we're going to use the shorter list for sake of time. Let's talk about the types of prophecies. Remember we talked about the types of psalms? We had like imprecatory psalms that were calling down curses. We had psalms of praise. We had different kinds. Well, we have the same kind of thing with prophecies. There's, there's different kinds. And so here are five helpful ways of dividing up the prophecies. A lawsuit. Okay, so God brings his case against his people. So you go to Isaiah 3 or Hosea 3, go back later today or this week and look at that and see how it's very much a courtroom situation. Um, and usually Israel is the defendant or Judah is the defendant and then God plays every other role in court <laughs> um, against his people. See that um, over and over again. Another one is the woe prophecy. God makes predictions of imminent doom. Um, these are, are kind of the downers sometimes, but they are necessary in understanding what God is doing. I'll read you three verses from Habakkuk. It says, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. 
Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. God is saying, here comes um, the imminent doom. Here is a woe upon you. And I've got some scriptures up there that you can look up later as well. And we've got the, the prophecies of promise. Um, these are a little more uh, uplifting and encouraging, but God promises future change and blessing. Um, Pastor Ron talked about the book of Amos today, and at the end of what he was talking about, the book ends with restoration. And God says, in that day I'll restore you. I'll build back up the booth of David that's fallen down. And in that day you're going you're gonna to obey me, you're going to love me, I'm going to bless you. And this is a, a future promise of change and blessing. The fourth one, these are the most exciting ones. These are the enactment prophecies where the prophets actually act out the word that God has given to them. So, so you, you'll see this in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah 20, God tells Isaiah to take his clothes off. I'm not kidding you, it's in there. Isaiah 20, take his clothes off and go out into public and speak the message and show by the fact that he is, you know, is he, is he wearing absolutely nothing? Is he just in his underwear? The point is he is shamefully dressed or undressed and he's out in public and showing the people that they will be shamefully undressed by God if they do not repent. Ezekiel 4 and 5, Ezekiel is supposed to build a model. He's supposed to build the model of Jerusalem. So he's supposed to like build a sandcastle and then he's supposed to literally make like little weapons and like little siege ramps and stuff and put them on the city. And then he's supposed to lay on his right side, I think it is, for like a year and then his left side for a few months. And that's to, to show that, that the, the people are going to, the Babylonians are going to come up against Jerusalem and destroy the city. So he doesn't just tell them, and he's like, and it's going to look like this, right? And he gets his tinker toys out and he shows them exactly what's going to happen. Those are bizarre prophecies. Um, there's some other ones where uh, Hosea is told to marry a prostitute um, to act out the prophecy. So the enactment prophecies are probably the most scandalous and exciting ones. Um, you've got the messenger prophecy, which is this kind of the generic most common type of prophecy where the prophet is God's messenger to the people speaking for God and usually preceded by a formula like thus says the Lord or, or something like that. Um, it, it sometimes was only spoken. A lot of times it was spoken and written down right then and there. Um, you see in the book of Jeremiah that he delivers his prophecy written out um, to King Zedekiah and Zedekiah cuts it up and throws it in the fire. Um, so that is... Basically, that's kind of the, the catch-all for everything that doesn't apply in those other four. The fifth category here of messenger prophecy um, is what, we, what we've got there at the end. Some issues in the prophets. First one, don't avoid them. Uh, if you're on a Bible reading plan, if you get here, before you get to Leviticus, this is another place where you'll, where you're, you'll quit or you'll be tempted to quit. If you get to Leviticus first, you might quit there. The point here is don't avoid the prophets. Um, Seek to understand them. This is what um, Dr. Russell says, who wrote our book. Any spiritual diet that excludes them will be unbalanced and may lead to spiritual anemia. Um, avoiding any part of the scriptures is unhelpful. Um, when, when, when Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and it's profitable, he's not speaking only of the New Testament. In fact, he's talking to a guy who only had the Old Testament. And so we want to not avoid these things. We want to, to engage with them. Um, the prophets spoke for God. This is really important. Oftentimes, 
when we're reading, we can see Jeremiah said, and then if it doesn't say, thus says the Lord, like, wow, Jeremiah's a jerk. But no, it's God speaking through the prophets. So the prophets are his spokesmen. They are to speak what he has told them. And so the prophets' words, when they are prophesying, are the words of God. Um, so thus says the Lord. You might hear declared the Lord. You'll see things um, like that that kind of show this is not just something that he came up with last night. God spoke to him, and he is repeating it. Uh, they often wrote their prophecies as poetry. So a lot of, if you're in the prophets, you'll notice it doesn't look like the text from 1 Kings. Um, it's try, the, the English translators tried to make it um, look as close as possible to the Hebrew poetry. So we'll go back to what we talked about with Psalms, look at the, the things we talked about with poetry, especially parallelism. That's used, again, a lot in the prophets. Um, so you can go online if you missed that and check it out. We don't have the notes up yet, but we'll get those up. And the message is online to go back and see what um, poetry looked like and how we interpret that, because often the prophets write in poetry. Uh, the prophets were known as covenant enforcers. Um, so they are covenant enforcers. is the role that they play. And what's meant by this is like guys rowing a boat. Okay, so think, when you row a boat, and I'm not an expert rower, but you're actually not facing where you're going, right? If you're rowing, your back is to where you're going as you row. And so this is like the prophets. They're, they're facing backward. They're looking backward towards the covenant, towards Moses and Sinai and God making a covenant with his people. They're looking backwards. And every once in a while, to make sure you know where you're going, you've got to look over your shoulder and, and keep rowing. Uh, if they lost sight of their past, they mortgaged their future. So the, the prophets point the people back. They point the people back to the covenant, back to Moses. And, and that really goes um, with the next point which is that they're unoriginal. Okay, so the prophets are unoriginal. Uh, they're not saying anything that's brand new. They are taking the people back to the concepts of the law. Their message was the same as Moses' message. They are saying the same thing that Moses, uh, God said through Moses to his people, but they're saying it in a, in a new way. The delivery is new. The concepts are old. Um, even a lot of the Messianic prophecies, you can go back and see seeds of them in the first five books of the Bible. So they're, they're covenant enforcers, that's their role, and they're unoriginal. And they would take you back to something like Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 lists what Moses was telling the people to do when they crossed over the Jordan and when they took the new land. They were to go to the middle of the country and go on top of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, in the middle of the country where the, the city of Shechem was. And half the tribes were to stand on one mountain, half the tribes were to stand on the other, and they were to shout the blessings of God and the curses of God. So the blessings were like, if you live like this in obedience to me, because you're my covenant people, I will pour out blessings. You'll have lots of babies, your plants will do well, everyone will be healthy. And then the other side it was, and if you disobey me, here's what we're going to do. And the, there's a lot more curses than there are blessings if you go back to Deuteronomy 28. But that's what the prophets are doing. They're pointing the people backwards. Um, they also could be confrontational and insulting. And again, this is where it's, it's good to remember that this is God's word through the prophets. So you've got to feel sorry for the prophets when God tells them, hey, tomorrow say this. You're like, oh man, really, Lord? I do not want to say this in public. Um, you've got two, two examples here. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Okay, well, he's actually talking to the women um, of the northern kingdom. So Amos is calling the wives 
of people, the cows. He's calling them cows on purpose. He is insulting them. He is confrontational. You don't get away with calling women cows and get off the hook. I mean, that's not... So Amos probably said that, like, protected by something. But that's one example. Next example, Jeremiah 2. How can you say I'm not unclean? This is God saying this. I have not gone after the Baals. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. And this is what he calls Israel. A restless young camel running here and there. A wild donkey used to the wilderness in her heat sniffing the wind. Excuse me? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need worry themselves. In her month they will find her. Well, okay, we'll skip over that one in family devotions this week. Um, They're confrontational and insulting. In fact, you see God and the prophets be sarcastic at times with his people to make a point. He's insulting and confrontational through his prophets. But they're also hopeful, okay? The prophets are also hopeful. Most of the books end with hope. And I don't have time to read this right now. This is in your notes. I went through from Isaiah to Malachi and looked at how the books end. Not all, but almost all of them end on a good, happy, joyous, eternal sometimes note. There's, there's hope um, that God is, is going to deliver them in the future. There's hope to be had. Okay, applications. This is what we're going to do in a few minutes as we gather in our groups. We, we try to find some applications from this. And, and when you go to the, the Gospels and you read about Jesus' teaching on money, well, okay, that's really applicable. That's easy to do. What do I do with cows of Bashan? <laughs> um, the, the, the example is don't go around calling people cows. That's not the point. So that's not how we apply this. Um, sometimes they'll come easily. Because a lot of times the prophets are dealing with things that we deal with as well. Um, the abuse of the poor, um, the neglect of the needy. The, the, the prophets are constantly calling the people of God to stop overlooking the, the needs of the people. To stop um, loading themselves up with good and prosperity and not looking out for the poor. That's a very relevant thing. Um, however, sometimes, uh, sometimes... It doesn't happen that way, and that's where the historical context will help us quite a bit to try to make some parallels. Um, so the prophets, they, they have an emphasis on right beliefs and right behavior, balanced. Okay, they're, they're balanced. They, they want to make sure that the beliefs and the behavior are matched up, right? So if it's only behavior and there's no belief, we call those people hypocrites. Um, we call those people self-righteous. Um, if there's all beliefs and no behavior, then the question can be said, do you really believe that? Um, and so that's, that happens a lot in the prophets. They're concerned with social justice, mistreatment of, of the poor. And last, I want to end with a caution. We are not Old Testament prophets. <laughs> okay? Um, we, we do not impart new revelation to the world. Okay? We can, however, speak prophetically, and you'll hear this often that pastors and others will call Christians to speak prophetically to the culture. We can do that, but we proclaim what's already written. We proclaim what's already written, and we live by it, and therefore we can speak and live prophetically to the world. But we are not Old Testament prophets. We are not those Old Testament prophets receiving revelation and dispensing it um, as they did. Be very careful when you say, thus says the Lord. Um, Say, thus says the Lord, and then keep reading, because that's the only time you should be using um, that phrase. So I just wanted to caution us in that. 
Hosea 8. We're going to break up into our groups now. Um, you're going to go, I, I told you you need your Bible, we never turn anywhere, I'm sorry about that. But we're going to turn to Hosea 8, and in our groups, I want us to read through um, this passage. Now again, we don't have a, a lot to go on here, I know there's not a lot of time, this is meant to, to intrigue you and to pique your interest and to get you moving further into it. Um, if you go to Hosea 1, verse 1, you can see quickly um, what he is, when he was a prophet during the reign of which kings. Which might not mean anything to you unless you have a cross-reference or you go, hey, there's got to be more in the Bible about Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah and Jeroboam. And so you go back to First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and you read up on those guys, and that'll help us understand Hosea. Of course, we don't have time to do that this morning, but that's, that's, that's where we want to be going with this. 